All right, good morning, Three Circle Church and all of our campuses joining us right now and those online. It's good to be with you today. We are going to dive into week three of Tumbleweed. And what is Tumbleweed all about? Well, you've seen them rolling around on every Western you've ever watched. They look great in John Wayne movies, but in reality, they're a real nuisance in the Southwest. They're a lot like mosquitoes in the South and snow in the North. They just get in the way. They're a mess. And what these little these little bushes do is they grow, and at first they actually have a bloom. They're like pretty at first, but that does not last long. That is totally faking everybody out because these things have very brittle little root systems that don't actually root at all. And as soon as this bush gets big enough to grab the wind, the wind snaps those roots off, and they begin to, you guessed it, they begin to tumble. And they go into this random, uh, just all over the place kind of life throwing seeds everywhere. There's no purpose. There's no point. They don't do anything good except get in the way and look good on John Wayne movies. That's about it, all right? That's what tumbleweeds do. And, and, and we are looking at this chapter in Ephesians, one chapter in a letter that Paul wrote to a church. So he assumes in the letter, he even tells you, I'm assuming you guys are all Christians. I don't know if you are. He says, but I'm, I'm hoping you are. I'm assuming you've heard the gospel. And he's saying that we're called to more than a tumbleweed life. This is not the life. We're not called to be random, accidental, without purpose. No, no, no. God has a plan for us. And he tells us in Ephesians 4.14, which we're calling the hinge verse of this chapter, everything before it's hanging on it, everything after it's hanging on it. He says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And what we see there is Paul saying, I don't want you to be like a tumbleweed. Don't be blown around by the wind. And that's what a tumbleweed does. It goes wherever the wind blows. There's no roots. If the wind's blowing there, that's where it goes. And I see too much tumbleweed parenting. I have too, uh, too many tumbleweed marriages around. We, if we're not careful, we'll become a tumbleweed church. Being blown wherever the cultural wind blows, wherever uh, satanic forces blow, so we're, hey, if the culture says affirm this, well, we affirm that. And if the culture says, well, this is what marriage and sexuality looks like now, well, we just go that direction wherever the wind blows. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not how we roll. That's not what we're all about. In fact, he compares being a tumbleweed to being like a child. We've said this every week, I'll say it again today. Acting like a tumbleweed's cute when you're four. It's getting old at 24. At 34, some, come on now. And if you're 64, still just going wherever the wind blows, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? So what Paul's saying in this chapter is he's saying, grow up. It's time to grow up. And, and we've learned in the first two weeks, we're not just growing up like randomly. We're growing into, he says, the image of Christ, meaning we've got a model that we're working towards. We, we have someone we're following here. We want to be like Jesus. That's what this is all about. And so what we would say today is God has saved us, yes, from something, but also we learned in week two, into something, the family of God, and we're going to learn for something. So we all go, hey, God saved me from my sin, from eternity apart from God. Yes, yes, yes. We celebrate that. That's not all. He also saved us into something. We learned in week two about the church. The church is important. You have gifts and I have gifts. Our victorious king, we learned last week, entered into heaven after rising from the grave with the keys of death and Hades, the Bible says, in his hands, which is a word picture for authority. He defeated hell and the grave, our biggest enemies. And he went back into heaven victorious as a king and turned around and gave gifts to his people. Every single one of you, if you're a Christian, you have a gift. 
Now, here's the deal. I need your gifts and you need mine. In order for us to most quickly and most effectively become like Jesus, we need each other, which tells me this. I simply cannot fully live the Christian life without being with you. We need each other. The local church is where we use our gifts, where we sharpen one another, encourage one another. And today we're gonna see that not only has he saved us into a family, but also he saved us for something. He's got stuff for us. We're gonna look at that today. And the Christian life, we would say, is the exact opposite of a tumbleweed life. God saved us for purpose. He saved us with a plan. He's gifted us. He's got structure. He's got things he wants us to do. We are not random. We are not accidental. God has a plan for you and a plan for me. And we're gonna look at that today. So today we're gonna go into the other half of this chapter. This other half is hanging on that same hinge. Verse 14, don't be blown around by the wind. Don't be a tumbleweed. And now he's gonna tell us more about that. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. We're gonna read the whole passage. Remember, I told you in week one, if you weren't here, well, you can't miss this incredible story, so I won't won't, won't tell it quickly again. So we we lived on a farm, and we had this one dog that figured out. My grandmother had this row of rose bushes at the front of her house, and those rose bushes were just the perfect height that if you walked over the top of them, this dog, if, if, if it walked across the top of the bushes, the bush would scratch its belly. And so this dog, for hours, would walk slowly through those bushes. And then would run back around and walk. We've got video and pictures of this. It was amazing. And, and it was like a great family trick. People would come over. We'd, Let's go watch the dog walk through the rose bushes. It was awesome. That's what we're doing. What we're doing is we're walking real slow through Ephesians 4. We don't want to miss a word. We don't miss any of it. We're just going to take our time through this one chapter of Ephesians so that we get everything out of it. That's what we're doing here. So let's read it and then we'll unpack it. Verses 17 to 24. Paul says, now... Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now let's just dive into what Paul's saying here. First of all, he says, you guys, if you're really Christians, you've got to stop walking like lost people walk. Walk in the Bible means live. It's how you live. This is interesting because Paul's going to start with what everybody can see about us, our behaviors. He starts on the outside and he says that needs to change because the world's confused. You're claiming Christ, but you're living in a way that does not represent him. And he starts on the outside, but then to teach us how to change what those outer behaviors look like, what he calls the old self, he starts on the inside in order to change it. He tells us the outside's got to change, and then he goes all the way down into the inside of us to teach us how to change that. And he tells us we need to stop living like that. Then he gives us a list of what our old self looks like, which we're going to call the tumbleweed life. What does a tumbleweed look look like? Spiritually, he's going to tell us. We're going to go into detail about it. But before we do that, he gives us this big phrase. It's the big idea of today. 
He says, you guys have got to put off the old and put on the new, right? Put off the old, put on the new. You know, you know what he's telling us? And I think many of us have messed this up. Christianity begins with subtraction before addition. And too many of us started with addition, but it requires subtraction. And this is exactly what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, to live, you must first die. That's right. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're first going to have to take up your cross. The cross is where we die. Let's put that up on the billboard so it'll just grow every campus we have. Come to three circle to die. You know what I mean? That's not a real modern sensibility phrase, is it? But that's what Jesus said over and over again. He said, if you follow me, you're going to have to learn how to die. Because in order to live, we must die. But here's what we do. And, and it's not just us. It's not just an American thing or Western Christianity thing. This is going on in the Bible or they wouldn't have dealt with it. What we want to do in the church of Ephesus, obviously had done this, is we like addition. Subtraction's so negative. Subtraction feels discouraging. Subtraction feels like I got to give something up. And that goes against my modern sensibilities. We like addition. See, at my house, here's what we like to do. We like to go buy new stuff to go into our already full closets. And we've tried this rule where we're like, hey, before I put something new in there, why don't I get rid of something first? But what we like to do is just keep adding and adding and adding and not taking anything away. It becomes, well, not a good thing. In fact, do you want to know what it looks like when you do addition before you do subtraction? You end up looking like this famous scene from a famous TV show. <laughs> this is Joey from the famous show Friends. The episode in question here is that Chandler, one of the other guys on the show, has, has decided to sit in Joey's favorite chair. He, Joey tells him, get out of my chair. He says, I'm not getting out of your chair. Joey goes into Chandler's apartment, into Chandler's closet, and puts on every piece of clothing that Chandler owns. And it looks ridiculous, doesn't it? Now listen, here's what we look like spiritually, though, when we try to add Jesus to our lives rather than removing the old self first. That's what we look like. Folks, we've got to leave that behind. That's got, to, that's got to go. We keep playing this game. And here's what we do in Christianity. And I'm just going to use this. So, so even though this is one of our beautiful three-circle shirts here, okay, that you can get in our lobby at most of our campuses, today, this is bad, all right? Let's let this represent the old self. Now, all of us have it. Even if you're a Christian, you still have your, the Bible calls it your flesh. Paul's calling it here your old self, you have a uniform. It's the way you used to behave. It's the way you used to talk. It's the way you used to react. It's how sexuality used to be. It's how you used to see marriage. You used to see parenting. How you used to see your money. All of those things, your behaviors. Paul says, hey, we've all got it, and here's what we tend to do. We tend to be this person, and then we start hearing about Jesus. And we hear about Jesus, and we're like, oh, I like Jesus. And, and when we hear about him, we're like, you know what? Jesus will save me from eternal hell and damnation. I'm in. I don't have to spend eternity apart from the living God. I like that. Uh, you mean that I get to be forgiven of all my sin and I don't earn that and I don't have to pay for my own sin? Oh, I like Jesus. This is all good news. This is like lollipops and puppy dogs type stuff. Everything's happy with Jesus. And so we miss half the gospel. We miss the dying part. And we're just like, I, I like Jesus. And what we do, and if we're, not, if we're not careful, we'll do this like the Ephesians did. Because Paul's telling the Ephesians, here's what you guys messed up and did. You played addition before you did subtraction. And what we do is we go, you know what, Jesus? I love you, and I'm going to add you 
to my life. That's what I'm going to do. And Paul says, and we think this is okay. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Guys, guys, we messed up. Paul's saying, we got to go back. We missed a step. You got to remove this because they don't go together. I don't know how your kids are. My kids are all very fashionable now. But my boys in particular went through a stage of life where, well, the fashion thing wasn't happening. In particular, my middle son, he uh, would walk out of his room when he, I don't know, between the ages of like 9 and 11. He didn't care what he looked like. So he'd walk out to go out in public. And one of his favorite things was a camouflage shirt with bright blue AFCO shorts. And he'd have Crocs on and neither one of them matched. Hair going everywhere. And I would look at him and I'd say, bud, you can't go out like that. We can't, t- if people see you, they're going to think, the preacher doesn't love his kids. Look at that kid. Camo and bright blue, they don't go together. The Crocs aren't matching. The hair, yeah, and combed it. We got to help you here, man. And he, he just didn't get it. And he, the two things, the camo didn't go with the bright blue. And the problem is many of you have added Jesus and your lifestyle simply doesn't go with him. Like, you can't see it. You can't tell that you know Jesus. That's what Paul says to the Ephesians here. Look at it again. He says, I'm assuming you've heard. I'm assuming you heard the same gospel that we preached to you. These two don't go together. And then one day, you know what happened one day? I don't know what happens, but one day my boys in particular decided they cared about what they looked like. All of a sudden they walk out one day looking like J. Crew models. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden everything matches. They care about what... You hear a hair dryer blowing in the back. You're like, whoa, they're combing their hair and stuff. And all of a sudden, they're, they're matching. You're like, man, what happened? You know what happened? What happens to every single one of us? They grew up. They stopped being immature about this. They started looking in the mirror, and for the first time, instead of looking in the mirror at bright blue afcos and camo shirt, going, that looks real nice. One day, they were like, you know what, I'm never going to tell him, but dad's right. I'm never going to let him know, but dad was right. And all of a sudden, they look different because they grew up. And here's the problem Paul's addressing with the Ephesians. He's saying, you guys are looking into the mirror of God's word over and over again, and you're saying, looks good, and God's saying, no, it doesn't. It doesn't match. You've just added Jesus to your life. You had a gumbo pot going that you really love called your old self, and you just sprinkled Jesus on like a little salt and pepper. Thought you could just blend him right in. And that's not how the Bible works. It's not how Christianity works. There has to be a death before there is life. There has to be subtraction before there can be addition. And then Paul tells us to help us understand, he says, now here's what your old life, your old wardrobe looks like. And he says this in verses 17 through 19 and 20. The first thing he says is futility of your mind. He says, you used to have a futile mind. That means knowledge without purpose. He says, all of us have brains and intellect because God in his common grace created humans in his image. But did you know that before Jesus, if you don't have Jesus, do you know that your mind has a limit? Not in its intellectual capacity, but in its spiritual capacity. You can have lots of knowledge and not know how it all fits in the grand scheme without knowing Jesus. Have you ever known someone who was really smart but not very wise? right? You go, wow, they're really smart. They invented something great. They did all these great things, but then you look at their life and it's a train wreck and you're like, well, you sure are smart to do so many crazy things, right? And so what Paul's saying is, hey, you may have not known this, 
But when you came to Christ, you were given the lid that used to be on your intellect and mind was lifted off of it. And you now can understand the world in a way, the way it all fits together. You have context that a non-believer doesn't have. Watch this. And Paul says, since you have that, why do you still act like this? Why do you still think like that? Why, if God has given you a new mind, do you still think like the old one? Why are you still operating that way? You gotta know that there's more to life than making money and building a big house. You're a Christian, he says. I assume you heard the gospel. Got better news that your life matters way more than that. Surely you're not still playing the game like everybody else. So Paul says, first of all, your mind should operate differently now. You don't have a feudal mind anymore. The second thing he says we must stop doing is being alienated from the life of God. He says Christians are not alienated from the vitality is what we'll call it, the life of God. That's called spiritual vitality. In other words, a tumbleweed doesn't have roots anymore. That's why it's brown and doesn't have any blooms on it, just rolling around with the wind. Paul's saying, if you're a Christian, you have been given a root system. You have the taproot to more joy and peace and comfort than anybody else without Jesus. You can tap into a power that raised Christ from the dead. And Paul's saying, are you kidding me? You've got all of that and still living like this? One time, I got off a plane in Miami to preach down in Miami. And this guy that was at our church was one of the top lawyers in South Florida. And he had a really souped up Porsche. I'd never driven one of those. He picked me up at the airport. He wanted to take me to dinner. And as we're walking out, he looked at me and said, want to drive it? I said, does Billy Graham like the Bible? <laughs> does Hulk Hogan have a weird mustache? Yes. I want to drive that car. So I get into the car, and what was crazy is I could hardly drive that thing. Like, I wasn't used to that kind of power, and I'm, like, doing all this stuff, and he's making fun of me. And he's like, man, you you don't understand how to drive something with this kind of power. And I was like, I don't. He had to kind of teach me. Now, once I got the hang of it, oh, baby, you know what I mean? Then he's like, all right, bro, all right, settle. Okay, okay. I'm like, you're the top lawyer in South Florida. You'll hook me up. It'll be okay, right? Here's the deal. I wasn't used to it. And Paul's saying, guys, you've been, you've been given a spiritual vitality that you need to learn how to drive. You've got power in you. The Bible even says you can take captive every thought. Folks, you don't have to bow down to addictions and sinful desires. Satan has no power over you. You don't even have to be afraid of death if you're in Christ. You've been given a new uniform and Paul says, act like it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, why do you live like that? You got new clothes. The old ones don't fit anymore. The next thing he says is, your old life had hardness of heart. Notice that he's on the inside. He says, I want your behaviors to change. And the way we're going to change them is going on the inside first. He starts with our minds. Now he's talking about your heart. He says, your heart is hard. That means numbness to conviction. That's what he's saying. The original language actually says, you are away from the ability to feel. Feel what? Feel God. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you've been given Christ... Your old self couldn't feel him. You weren't convicted. The only thing you would feel is God pulling you to himself. But as a Christian, you have this new sensitivity to the voice of God. How many of you know what that's like? How many of you know what conviction feels like? 
I'm telling you, I've walked with God long enough. When I say something sideways, it's like I can feel, I can feel immediately the Holy Spirit. Whoa, 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 pull, tapping the brakes in my life. That's sensitivity to the voice of God that Paul says, that's a gift. That's a good thing. I read about this guy, this doctor, who did amazing groundbreaking research in the area of the disease of leprosy. Leprosy is an awful, horrible disease. It's an ancient disease that we see show up in the Bible. And he figured out, amazing that it took this long, he figured out the reason that people with leprosy often will end up without their fingers and hands and horrible wounds is because they can't feel. So they would go to sleep in a leper colony like in ancient times, and they'd wake up, their fingers gone, and it's because, sadly enough and horrifically enough, a rodent in the middle of the night could literally eat part of their hand and they wouldn't know it. And they'd wake up with these horrible wounds. He did all this research and figured out that's what's going on with leprosy. But he had taken all of these things that, that would keep him from catching leprosy while he was doing his research. But the fear in the back of his mind was always, this guy, Dr. Paul Brandt, was that he might would catch the disease. That would be a nightmare for you. But he's like, no, 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 I've taken all the stuff. And then one day he's on a plane and he's just doing his thing and suddenly he loses feeling in his feet and starts moving up his leg and he panics. I read where he told this story. He panics because his legs are going numb. He can't feel anymore. And he's like, what is going on? I can't feel my legs. And he thinks, I have caught this disease. Oh my goodness. Everything I try to do to keep from getting it. And I've got it. So he unbuckles on the plane and stands up. And suddenly he does what many of us have done before. The blood rushes in. And he had just been sitting in a position that had uh, cut the blood flow off. And what happens when your foot or your leg goes to sleep and you stand up real fast? What happens? Suddenly it hurts, doesn't it? Feels like little needles. And he wrote and he said, I've never been more grateful for the ability to feel than I was in that moment. I was so grateful for that pain for a minute because it reminded me, no, 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 you don't have that disease, folks. When you feel conviction over sin, you should write then and go, thank you, Jesus. You are working in my life. I feel you. I sense you. I hear your voice in my life. I am not who I used to be because of what you're doing in my life. Be thankful for the ability, the sensitivity to be able to feel God. And folks, I'm just going to be honest with you here. And this because I love you. And I, and I want you to spend eternity with me, okay? Like me and you forever in heaven. That's what I want. I want you to know Jesus. If you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, you come to church and do all the, all the stuff, but you can sin unabated. You've got sin all over your life. You live a completely, you live like the old life, but you're claiming the new. And you never feel it. You never feel conviction. You never feel God's thumb on your back, so to speak. You never feel conviction over your sin. I am here to tell you that I don't think you're a Christian because I love you. I don't want to offend you. I hope you'll come back next week. But I got to tell you the truth. I can't imagine a real, that's what Paul said to them. He's like, you're, you did hear the gospel, right? You do know Jesus, and there's no way you can just go do whatever you want to do and never feel it. Not with, his, not with his spiritual vitality pumping through your spiritual veins. And you know what he does last? He starts in our hearts and minds, hardness of heart, mind, vitality spiritually from God, and then he ends on behavior. The last thing he says that the old life is, is all that sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's what he said. This means a total world system buy-in. 
It means you claim Christ, but you do everything else the way the world does. You claim Jesus, but you live like the world. You claim Jesus, but you do whatever you want to do. You do sexuality, marriage, money, parenting, you name it. It's all just like you used to, except you added to the top of the gumbo pot a little sprinkle of salt and pepper. You go to church every now and then, maybe give a little jingle to the man upstairs. But you're still the old person. And Paul says, as Christians, we are not called to that. In fact, what Paul is saying to us in Ephesians is that real salvation will always lead to real change. That's what he's saying. Real salvation will have evidence. If there's a boat going across a lake, I will see a wake behind it. There will be evidence that it's going through that water. If you really are a Christian, there will be evidence. Now, it, it looks different for all of us. Be careful because you're just looking for a sign of life. I grew up, I, there was this guy in my church who famously was extremely addicted to cigarettes. He was a cigarette man. Could have called him the Marlboro Man. That was funnier in my mind than it was coming out. That's how my jokes go. It's a 50-50 chance, you know what I'm saying? Um, at my church, and he would give his testimony, and he would say, he would point to the place in my church, and he would say, I smoke packs a day of cigarettes. And I walked down there to that spot, and he would say, and I gave my life to Christ, and I got up, and I didn't even want one again. He would say that he had tried to quit over and over again, and he'd get cold sweats and get sick and just physically have these withdrawals. He said, I got up off that carpet right there, and I walked out of the church, and I've never had another one. I've never wanted another one. And my church would be like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, a little... That's how they did it in Pentecostal churches. But I always also knew of this other guy in my church that loved Jesus just as much as he did. And he came to my youth group one night and told a story about how he still struggled with it. That wasn't his story. And he would cry and he would say, every day of my life, there are things I, I still want. And I don't know why I want them. And you know what? God was working in both those guys. And he gave the one total victory in that moment, but this other guy struggled more, and I don't know the why behind it, but what I could see is the, the conviction in his heart. The needle was moving. So today I'm not saying that you're not gonna struggle with your old self once you have Jesus. What I am saying is there should be a struggle. There needs to be a battle going on. Christian transformation, according to Paul, is inside-out movement too. It's not change your behaviors. That's what religion tells you. Religion says, stop doing bad things and maybe you'll have a good heart. That's what religion says. No one has ever behaved their way into real life change. I just want you to know that. You can't behave your way to Christ because if you could, you could take credit for it and you wouldn't have needed Jesus to die for you. That's not the gospel. So Christianity starts on the inside of us. When your heart, your soul, and your mind changes, you get Jesus, the inside of you begins to drive the outside. Your behaviors change because, well, your inside changed. Here's, here's Jesus totally teaching what Paul just taught us in Ephesians. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 12. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your, does he start with behavior? Does he say, you're gonna start loving God with how you act? Nope. He says, you will love the Lord your God with your heart. That's invisible. With your soul, that's invisible. 
with your mind. That's invisible. And then your strength. That's what we see. That's your behaviors. It starts there. Paul tells us, if you want to change what everybody sees, your behaviors, you're going to have to start with your mind, futility of your mind, your hardness of your heart, your spiritual vitality, soul. That's where it starts. And then it ends up coming out in your behaviors. Jesus says the same thing. We start our love of God in our hearts, souls, and minds. And then it comes out in our behaviors. Our new nature always leads to new behaviors. That's what you need to know. Real change. The gospel is so different from religion. Religion says you have someone to impress. The gospel says you have someone to trust. Who changes you from the inside out. Now, as we look at all this, one of the most famous stories in the Bible to help us understand that we need to take off the old to really fully live in the new. And this is a process, by the way, at times. Because I bet some of you are like me and you look around your life and you're going, wow, I'm still wearing stuff that doesn't fit anymore. I got, you know, guys like to have fun. We pick on each other quite a bit. We make fun of each other. That's how guys show love. And so, like, I'll look at some of my buddies and I'm like, dude, that shirt hasn't fit you for about 20 pounds. I'm just letting you know. About 20 pounds ago, it fits you. You know what I mean? We call that a schmedium. It's a mix between a small and a medium. It's time to go large, and you may need a little more than that. I love you in Jesus' name. You know, my wife's always like, if I talk to my friends the way y'all talk to each other, we wouldn't have any friends. I'm like, that's just guys. Anyway, guys, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Don't leave me hanging. Okay, anyway, I'm getting a lot of judgment right now. That's just how guys are. So a lot of you, though, are wearing stuff that Paul's saying it doesn't fit you anymore. He's saying the old life doesn't fit fit you anymore. And one of the greatest pictures of this I have in the Bible is when Jesus raised his buddy Lazarus from the grave. You know the story, right? I mean, I grew up with revival preachers preaching the paint off the walls with this story. Because if you can't preach Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, you don't have any preaching in you. You know what I mean? So let's go to that story. Let me remind you of the story. They let Jesus know days ahead of time, your buddy Lazarus is going to die. Jesus ignores it. His disciples are even like, hello, are we not gonna go down to Bethany? You're not gonna at least try to help? Nope. And then they come to him and they go, hey, he's dead. And Jesus, of course, like, I know. And by the time Jesus gets to the tomb of Lazarus, to the grave of Lazarus, he's been dead for four days. Four days is important. We know now, medically, biologically, and all that, that it's day four that the body is really in decomposition. So Jesus didn't want a warm body in there. He wanted him, as the preachers used to say, good and dead. <laughs> Amen. So when he gets there, everyone's still there because in the Jewish times, you would spend like a week hanging out and, and, and weeping and wailing and all of this grief. Jesus shows up, and you know the famous moment where he says, Roll away the stone. And they look at him and they go, and we know that they knew what was going on because they're like, we can't roll away the stone. He will, he's gonna stink now. Like, this is gonna be horrible. There's a lack of dignity and it's gonna be bad, Jesus. Day four. Maybe if he would've gotten here in day two, we could've rolled the tomb. They're thinking he's wanting to show his respect somehow. He's like, roll away the stone. This is a really big moment, right? This is the moment, by the way, that was so big that, that afterwards the Pharisees get together and they're like, we can't just oppose him, we gotta kill him. This is where they decided. This miracle was simply too big. So they roll away the stone, everyone's like, 
Jesus looks in. You know the story. Lazarus, come forth. Remember that? And then everybody in my church would just kind of get a little, little wiggle. And we all think that what happened next is that Lazarus just came walking out of the tomb, right? Yay, hey, hey. But he did not walk out of the tomb. In fact, look what the Bible says. The Bible says in John eleven forty four, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips. You can't walk like that. Folks, Lazarus was completely wrapped from his feet to his head in grave clothes all over his body. It would have had ointments all over it. So that means he had to figure out a way to get to the front of the tomb. He's like, I'm trying. <laughs> this isn't the moment you thought it was. But it was for everyone else because the church is just like they were then. We think there's the end. He's saved. He's been brought back to life. Let's baptize him, you know? And in the church, we miss part of the story just like we miss the end of this story. Listen, in the church, we're not just told to bring people to Jesus and then baptize them and we're done. We then help people take off the old uniform. We teach them to obey everything Christ said, right? We'll spend a lifetime doing that. So look what Jesus does. Everyone else, what do y'all think's going on? They're celebrating. They're having a party. They're rolling out tubs of potato salad for the party, right? If we were in the South. Jesus is still looking at Lazarus. See, we always end the story one sentence too soon. Everybody else can't believe he's alive. Jesus can't believe he's still wearing those clothes. Everyone else is celebrating that he's alive and not dead. Jesus is ready to take him to his next step and look at his command. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus did not just want to bring Lazarus out of the grave. He wanted the old grave clothes off. Take off the old and put on the new. Folks, we've been given a new wardrobe in Christ. And here's the deal. Many of us are saved, but like the Ephesians, for some reason, we're still wearing our old uniform. We just added Jesus to it. And Paul's like, hey, hey, we can, we can deal with this. Let's go back and do subtraction. Let's take it off. And here, here's how we're gonna land the plane real simply today. Folks, listen, listen. What are you still wearing that doesn't fit you anymore, spiritually? What's still hanging around in your life and you know it? You know it doesn't represent Christ. What is it? What have you gone back to your grave and picked up and thought, mm, mm, I kind of like that, I'll put it back on. How many of you, like my son, are wearing camo and blue afcos? It doesn't match. But let me just help you here. You've been given a new wardrobe in Christ. Why are you still, why are you still wearing that? What today do you need to leave right where it is and move forward in Christ? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to ask him to forgive you of and ask him to empower you to take it off and stop putting it on and stop wearing it? What needs to get out of your wardrobe so that you can put on Christ fully today? You've been given a new wardrobe. And it's not a tumbleweed wardrobe. It's the wardrobe of Christ. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy. Please help us to put on Christ and take off the old. Help us with that subtraction part. It's the most painful part. And we need you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.